Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad al-Fatihi lima ugalik wa khatimi lima sabaq. Nasr al-Haqqi bil-Haqqi wal-Hadi ila saratika mustaqim wa ala alihi haqqa qadirihi wa miqdarihi al-Azim. O Allah, we ask you to send your blessings upon our Master Muhammad, the opener of what was closed and the seal of what came before him, champion of the truth by the truth and guide to the straight path, and upon his family and companions as is befitting his noble rank. Ameen. Allahumma ya kareem akramna bi nur fahm wa akhrajna min dhulumat al-wahm wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah O Allah the noble the generous we ask you to ennoble us with the light of understanding and to remove us from the shadows of illusion and there is no power nor might except through God I mean we are continuing on the points of iman or of faith belief and um, just to recap the we take these from a narration of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam in which he he had a conversation with the angel gabriel and this is a remarkable hadith because it was one of the few times that the angel gabriel actually appeared not just to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam but to some of the companions they were able to see him and what's interesting is that in some narrations of this some companions report seeing him others don't and so uh commentators on this have said that like their ability to see him was sort of connected to their rank with god um those who uh were closer to god uh saw the angel whereas those who did not saw the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam having a conversation but they didn't know with who or with what um but this hadith that we have is narrated by Umar radiyallahu anhu and so Umar saw the angel and the angel uh came in the guise of a human being and he was remarkable from the very beginning because he had no signs of travel on him nor did anyone know him and so in a small place like medina small town in the middle of the desert you were either someone that everyone knew or you were a traveler and if you were a traveler um people would sort of you know they would talk they'd say so and so came in today there's this man and there was no report of a man matching his his description coming into town i grew up in a small town this makes perfect sense to me it's like we everyone knows everyone else's business in a small town that that's often how it is and so this man was remarkable um he came in and they said you know his hair was jet black and his clothes were pure white meaning like he didn't have any dust any dirt any sand on him so where did he come from he sits in front of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in a very familiar way puts his knees right up against his knees and he places his hands on the knees of the prophet and he addresses him o muhammad uh not o messenger of allah he says o muhammad he addresses him by his first name and this too is amazing 
to the companions. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> um, and this is probably very amazing to Omar because Omar is always that guy who is like protective over the Prophet When people would speak harshly to the Prophet, Omar would be the one to jump up and you know be ready to defend him. So the angel asks the Prophet about Islam, meaning not Islam like you might say with a capital I, not all of the religion, but Islam regarding what we would call the five pillars, which are our acts of worship. And then he asks him about Iman, which we're covering here, and Ihsan, which is like spiritual excellence, you can translate that word as. Uh, I think the book translates it as spiritual refinement. Um, but we're talking about Iman. And so he says, Oh, Muhammad, inform me of Iman. And the Prophet says, It is to believe in Allah, his angels, his books, his messengers, the day of judgment, and the divine decree, both the good and the evil thereof. And Jibreel says, You have spoken correctly. So again, he does something amazing. He confirms something that the prophet has said. And they're all wondering, like, who is this guy to tell the prophet, the messenger of God, that he has said something correct? Whenever the prophet would ask the companions questions, their response to him would always be, Allah and his messenger know best. So like, who is this guy confirming what the prophet had said? So we've talked about Allah, that first point of faith. And now we're moving on to the subsequent points of faith. And this is something that I think we need to pause and sort of take stock of. Because when, you know, like we think about our testimony of faith, it's la ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah. There is no deity but God, nothing worthy of worship except for God. And Muhammad is the messenger of God. And yet, here, we are being told that our belief actually encompasses more than that. We have to believe not only in God and his messenger, but we have to believe in angels. We have to believe in all of the books of Revelation that God has sent throughout history. We have to believe in all the prophets who came with those books of Revelation. We have to believe that we will be raised up after our death and stand before God in judgment. And we have to believe uh, in God's decree, meaning that everything that happens to us in this life, whether it is good or bad, according to our own perception, that God willed it for us, that there is a plan for us in this life that we are in. We have to believe these things. Um, and so what we're going to do over the coming weeks is talk about these other points of belief that are sort of implicit in our belief in God and our belief in his messenger that um, really, you know, uh, as we will see are, are points that if we understand them, they point us to God. Um, but we need to like not be confused that this is uh, this is not putting these things on the same level as belief in God, right? We understand from our theology, and I didn't go too deep into like uh, the, the nitty gritty of our theology when we talked about Allah, because it, it often gets very dry 
Um, and I think, you know, from what I've seen when I've taught it in the past, you know, people sort of tune out. It, it's a lot. But one of the things that I want you to know about our theology is that creation, creation is defined as, in Arabic, we would say, masiwa Allah, everything other than God. Everything, there is God, and then there is creation. So we need to understand that our belief in these things are things in creation that God is pointing to. And he's saying, I want you to believe in these things too. I want you to understand them. Because if you understand them, you will be guided to me. Um, creation or the world or the universe, the word that we use uh, in theology is al-alam. Right? When we say the Fatiha, we say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Lord of all of the worlds. Uh, Alam is the singular of Alameen. And this word in Arabic is related to the word that we also have for knowledge, Ilm. Ilm is knowledge. And so what this tells us, what the Arabic language is telling us here is that the world is nothing but a series of signs, alama, like a, a sign. Um, it comes from the same, uh, the same root word in Arabic. The world, the alam, is nothing but a series of signs that give us knowledge of God, that everything points to him. If you understand the world as it actually is, that it is God's creation, that it indicates a creator, and you can get to the point, um, and this is the beautiful thing about theology, um, you can know with certainty that everything is a creation of God because nothing can explain its own existence. But these five points other than God uh, the angels, the books, the messenger, the day of judgment, the divine decree, these are things in God's creation that are like the big signs. You understand these things and they will orient you in this world. Um, and you can kind of think of this as like uh, an analogy for like how we would find true north. Like if we were walking out in the wilderness, right? True north is a reality, but we can't see north. Like we can't just look and like see it like, oh, it's, it's over there, right? Um, we need signs to point us towards true north. Now, today we have like GPS. We have, you know, before that even we had compasses which pointed to magnetic north. And, you know, if you're using a compass, you would have to know how far off true north magnetic north was depending on your location on the earth. But you think about, like, how do you actually read the signs in God's creation to point you towards true north? It is possible to do that. And there are multiple signs. Like if you're traveling at night and you know how to find the North Star, the North Star will point directly towards true north. Does anyone know, by the way, how to find the North Star? That's right. Yeah. It's, it's like the front of the dipper, like so the, like the, the front side of like the cup 
part of the dipper, you go from the, the top point of the cup down to the bottom front point and like pretend there's a line that goes through those. You follow that line, it goes straight to the North Star. And so you know that, you know a sign that will point you towards true north. If you know that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, you can find true north. There are others. I mean, it's, it's actually really interesting. I was a Boy Scout, so I, I kind of like really love this stuff. Um, but, you know, like moss in the northern hemisphere usually grows on the north side of a tree. So if you go and you look at a bunch of trees and you say, oh, there's, there's moss consistently on like this side of the tree, you know that that's north. Right? If you're traveling and it's, uh, it's like fall going into the winter and you see migratory birds flying, it's really interesting. Like geese, they'll fly in like an arrow shape. They're flying south, right? It's like literally an arrow pointing south. So you know the opposite direction is north. There's all kinds of ways to do this. But if you know how to look for the signs, you know how to find north and you know where you're going all of a sudden. And the same is true about our existence in this world generally. You know how to look for the signs that God has placed in creation, especially these big ones. Each of these signs that God commands us to believe in, they point, they're like our North Stars. They will point you directly to God if you understand them. And so we're gonna talk about the first of these this week, uh, angels. We're talking about angels. And angels are the most numerous creation of God. There's more angels than there are of us. There's more angels than there are of the other animals on this earth. There's more angels uh, than anything else that God has created. They are the most numerous beings in creation. And so this tells us something very, very interesting. That most of God's creation, we don't see. Like our experience in this life, in this world, is a tiny, tiny sliver of God's creation. Like we don't see most of his creation. Angels are made of light, whereas we are made of what? Clay, right? We're made of like a physical material, right? Angels are made of light, meaning that they are immaterial. They don't have an embodied existence the way that we have an embodied existence. And yet they are the most numerous of God's creation. So this tells us something very important. We cannot take, as many people do nowadays, we can't take this physical existence as everything that there is. We have to understand that there is more to the universe. There's more to the world than what we see in front of us and then what we can perceive with our five senses. And, you know, on this topic, there is a hadith. The messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, Allah Almighty has angels whose limbs shudder out of all of him. No angel among them sheds a tear from his eye, but that it falls upon another angel, glorifying Allah. No angel sheds a tear except that it will fall upon another angel, 
That's how numerous they are. The, the world is literally like stacked with angels. They're all around us at all times. The Arabic word for angel is malak. It's malak, um, which the word for a king is a malik, a malik. They come from a similar root. Angels uh, are uh, servants. The, the malik is the servant of the malik. They're servants of God. They kind of like, you can think of it as like run his dominion. They enact his will on earth. And they have no free will of their own. So they are also different from us in this sense. You know, thinking about how we are unique, like this material existence of ours is quite unique. It doesn't characterize most of creation. Within this material existence, us and the jinn, the, the spirits that also inhabit this world, we have free will. This is also unique, right? Um, I, I've heard it said, you know, Abedullah Evans, he was saying he heard this from Imam Fode Drame, who was saying that when God speaks about loving his creation, he only uses that word love in relationship to us because we can obey God out of our own free will. It's a choice for us. We can choose to disobey God. Angels, God never speaks of loving them, not because they're disobedient to him, but because they have no choice but to be obedient to him. And most of creation is like this. Most of creation is innately obedient to God. So most of creation is a sign that will point you perfectly to God, whereas you may encounter a human being and they may point you away from God, right? Depending on who you're with. They may point you towards God. They may point you away from God. But most of the rest of creation will point you directly to God because the rest of creation is glorifying God at all moments. So the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, the sun never rises, but that two angels are sent at its sides, calling out, and they are heard by all of the inhabitants of the earth except for the humans and the jinn. O people, come quickly to your Lord. What is little and sufficient is better than what is abundant and negligent. The sun never sets, except that two angels are sent at its sides, calling out, and they are heard by all the inhabitants of the earth, except the humans and the jinn, saying, O Allah, repay one who spends in charity. O Allah, give destruction to the one who withholds charity. So the angels are at every point that we perceive. Like we may look at a sunset and, you know, like we, we know like this is a giant ball of burning gas floating out in space. And we may have a material explanation for that sunset. God is telling us there is an immaterial reality to this that you don't see. You don't perceive the call of the angels as the sun is rising and as the sun is setting, but this is a reality. And just as the angels are obedient to God, the sun is obedient to God. The sky, the earth, everything is obedient to God. Everything glorifies God. And so everything, including the angels, are signs that point to him. Angels are also here to help 
us. And this is a very important thing to understand because this sort of like, you know, gives us some aspirations. Like angels are beings that we want to attract because they, uh, they're rooting for us, you might say. Um, and, you know, they are here to make the world a place where we can discover our creator. And this is a long hadith, but I want to read the whole thing because it's very, very beautiful. So the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said that Allah has innumerable angels who rove about the earth, seeking out gatherings in which God's name is being invoked. They sit with them and fold their wings around each other, filling that which is between them and between the lowest heaven. When the people in the gathering depart, the angels ascend and rise up to heaven. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, then Allah asked them, even though he is most knowing uh, about the matter, he asked them, from where have you come? And they say, we have come from some of your servants on the earth. They were glorifying you, saying, subhanAllah, exalting you, saying, Allahu Akbar, witnessing that there is no God but you, saying, la ilaha illallah. They were praising you, saying Alhamdulillah, and asking your favors. He says, and what do they seek of me? They say, they ask of you your paradise. And he says to them, have they ever seen my paradise? They say, no, O Lord. And he says, how would it be were they to have seen my paradise? And they say, uh, and they ask protection of you. He says, from what do they ask protection of me? They say, from your hellfire, O Lord. And he says, and have they seen my hellfire? They say, no. He says, how would it be were they to have seen my hellfire? And they say, and they ask for your forgiveness. And then the Prophet ﷺ said that God says at this point, I have forgiven them. And I have bestowed upon them what they have asked for. And I have granted them sanctuary from that which they have asked protection. They say, O oh Lord, the, this is the angels, they say, O oh Lord, among them is so-and-so, a much sinning servant who was merely passing by and sat down with them. And God says in reply, and to him too, I have given forgiveness. He who sits with people, with, with such people, shall not suffer. So the angels, you know, even though God is aware of all things, they take a report of gatherings, like the one that we're sitting in. When gatherings like this happen, the entire space that we are occupying right now is filled with angels. From where we sit up to the lowest heaven. They're here right now. There's more of them, far more of them, than there are of us in this room. And when we, they, when we leave, they are going to go to God, even though he is already aware. And they're going to report what happened here. And, you know, even if some of us just happen to wander in off the street or like, you know, Omer heard, well, there's going to be an ice cream truck. I want to go get the ice cream. He didn't come for like the gathering. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's just an example. It's just an example. But like he heard there's just an ice cream truck. He didn't come to, you know, uh, to learn about the religion. He didn't come to glorify God. He just happened to be here for other reasons. God has collateral mercy, right? 
this is a word we heard a lot, you know, way back during the war on terror, we heard about collateral damage, right? Oh, that person just happened to be near like a drone strike, collateral damage, you know, it's part of war. Allah has collateral mercy. That person didn't intend to be there. They didn't come for quote unquote, the right reasons. They're forgiven too, just for being in a gathering where God's name is mentioned. So the angels are on our side. They, they take news of gatherings like this up to God because they want to see us succeed. Angels also reflect God's attributes, particularly his attributes of beauty and of majesty. I think we talked about this last week. Most of the names of God, God has 99 names that we learn about from the Quran. They usually fall into a category of beauty, like Rahman, Rahim, Al-Wadud, like the, the names of mercy, uh, the loving, Al-Karim, the generous, right? These are beautiful names that God has. God also has names like the giver of death, the debaser, the avenger, names that are majestic, they're mighty, they're, they're scary of God. And he tells us, you know, my mercy uh, overcomes my wrath. We, we ought not to assume that because he has majestic names, that is how he deals with us, but that is a reality. The angels reflect this. And there are angels in creation that serve both roles of embodying his beauty and embodying his majesty. So I'll tell you about two. And this is a report that comes from the prophet's night journey, when he ascended to heaven, right? He encountered a number of angels when he arrived in heaven. And, you know, he, if you ever have a chance to, to read about this, there's actually a class that we do uh, on this night journey. So inshallah, we'll be able to talk more about this, but go and read about it on your own too. It's, it's an amazing account. Uh, there's so much there, and you learn so much, particularly about this world that we're talking about, that we don't get to see during most of our lives, right? The, the immaterial world that we're not privy to most of the time. So I'll tell you about the majestic angel first. So when the Prophet, وسلم, arrives in the lowest heaven, you know, the, this is a big deal. Like the angels gather to greet him. And every angel is coming up and they're smiling at the Prophet ﷺ. They're greeting him. They're welcoming him to paradise, except for one. There was one angel who was not smiling and he didn't rush to greet the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ says, we were all awed by this angel. And Jibreel, who was the Prophet's guide through this journey, he said, this angel is named Al-Khazan, and he is the igniter of the hellfire. From the time that God appointed him as the one who would ignite the fire of hell, up until now, he has never smiled. Every day, his anger on the enemies of God and those who commit sins increases. It is through this angel that God will punish the sinners. If it was decreed that there should ever be a smile on his face, then because of you, it would have been. But he will never smile. But he has never smiled, nor will he ever smile. 
neither before you nor after you. And so the Prophet ﷺ greets him, and he responds to his greeting and gives him the glad tidings of paradise. And he asks the Prophet ﷺ, do you give me permission to show you the fire of hell? And Jibreel, alayhi salam, he replies, yes, show the Prophet the fire of hell. And so he lifts the cover of the hellfire. And the Prophet ﷺ says that flames from the fire shot up into the sky. Flames that were boiling and continuously shooting up. And he says, I soon thought that the flames would come close to me. And I said, Jibreel, tell the angel to cover the fire. And so he gave the command and the fire went back into its place. Al-Khazan closed the doors of hell and he departed. So this was a majestic angel. He was not pleasant to meet. He did not smile. He, uh, he did not rush to greet the prophet, Salih the way that the other angels did. But he is a servant of God, just like the other angels. He reflects part of God's majesty, right? So that's one angel. And then there is another, a beautiful angel. This is the angel of fire and ice. The Prophet ﷺ says, after this, I saw an angel whose physique was very interesting. One half of the body of this angel was fire and the other half of it was ice. Even stranger than that was the fact that neither the heat of the fire made the ice turn to water, nor did the coldness of the ice put out the flames. And with a very quiet voice, he said, I praise the one who is sufficient to praise, such that the heat of this fire does not melt the ice, nor does the cold of the ice put out the fire. O oh Allah, O oh the one who has placed such a thing between the fire and the ice, you too place agreement and love between the hearts of your servants. I asked Jibreel concerning this angel, and he replied to me that Allah, the glorious and most high, has appointed him as the angel who will offer advice to the believers on earth. And he is the guardian of the heavens and the earth. From, this, from the time that this angel was created, he has been praying for the people of the earth. So this is a beautiful angel, an angel that we would like to meet. An angel that, we'll get to this in just a second, that when we hear in our mind a particularly good thought that we're not accustomed to having, that we can assume is an angelic suggestion coming to us from an angel like this. And there, there are many angels like this that give us angelic suggestions. And we'll, we'll talk about that next, inshallah. Uh, so, angels influence us as well. And this is another important thing to understand in terms of like, like what is the importance of understanding the existence of angels? Why must we believe in them? Well, we learn something about ourselves from learning about angels. And what we learn is that, you know, this idea that many of us have of ourselves as being sort of like this enclosed being, right? Like I have my thoughts, they exist in my head, right? And the things that I think, they come from me. Um, pretty much all of modern psychology, as far as I'm aware, is based upon this assumption that like your thoughts come from your interior somewhere. And so any thought that you have, you know, it's, it's your own, 
And so therefore, if you're thinking something, right, um, that if, if it's a good thing, it came from you. If it's a bad thing, uh, then you are the one who can deal with that by sort of analyzing it, right, and, and picking it apart. But what the existence of angels tells us is that, no, we are susceptible beings. We are susceptible to influence. And of course, we know this from um, right, the fact that marketing exists, that we see so many thousands of advertisements on a daily basis, right? that billions of dollars are spent on advertising every year. The reason for this is because we are susceptible to influence. But we are susceptible to angelic influence and demonic influence. And it's like, how do you know what is what? How do you know that a thought that you're having is coming from your own self, like your own nafs, or that it's coming from beyond you, right? Um, it's actually not too hard. Um, particularly bad thoughts that we get, they're not characteristic of us, right? Like we all have our own flaws. I'm prone to anger. This surprises some people, but it's true. I'm prone to anger. If I hear a voice in my mind, like especially if I'm driving, like some guy cuts me off, you know, and I hear this voice within myself, go cut him back off. Like, you know, show him what's up. Like that, I can be pretty sure that that's coming from me because I, like, I know who I am. I know like my problems, my issues that I have to deal with. Anger is one of them especially on the road. It tends to come out. Um, but alhamdulillah, mashallah, uh, I'm not a stingy person. And uh, it's, it's never been a problem for me. Like if someone on the street asked me for money to just like give them a couple dollars, never been a problem. But if I hear a voice in my mind that when someone asks me for money on the street, a voice says, man, just get this guy away from me, like this, this dirty bum, right? That's a demonic suggestion. Because I know that's, that's not characteristic of me, but it's a particularly bad thought. And it's like, where did that come from? Like, do you ever surprise yourself with thoughts like that? You're like, where did that come from? That is a demonic suggestion. And so the best way to discern these things is to get to know yourself. Like, what are your good points, like what types of good are you prone to and what types of evil are you prone to? Because when you hear a demonic suggestion, you can easily dismiss it. You don't have to let it perturb you. You're like, that's not me. That's not me, that's, that's coming from beyond me. We can be tricked into thinking that's us and that's why it's important to understand these things. It's like, maybe I am a stingy person. You start to internalize that. Next time you hear that voice, you're like, well, I guess maybe this is just who I am. No, reject it. That's not you. The inverse is true. When we have a particularly good thought that is not characteristic of us, we can be certain that that is coming from an angel. And the thing about angelic uh, suggestions is that we ought to follow them. That is a suggestion usually that if you follow it, you will improve in some way. If you follow it, that is God calling you to be better than you currently are. So you hear a good voice that is not characteristic of yourself. You do that thing, right? That is the path to God. Angels will point you towards God. They will tell you how to get to your Lord. 
This is what we do with the knowledge that there are angels. We listen to their voice. So the messenger of God, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, when a man retires to his bed, an angel and a devil rush to him. And again, this is getting back to this idea of suggestions. The angel says, end your day with good. And the devil says, end your day with evil. If the person remembers God and then falls asleep, the angel will spend the night taking care of them. So you, you end your night on a good note. You follow that angelic suggestion, that angel stays. That angel protects you while you sleep from further demonic forces. The Messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, also said, Satan has influence with the son of Adam, and the angels have influence. As for the influence of Satan, he promises evil and denies the truth. As for the influence of the angels, they promise goodness and affirm the truth. Whoever finds this goodness, let him know that it is from God and let him praise God. Whoever finds something else, let him seek refuge in God from the accursed Satan. Then the prophet recited the verse, Satan threatens you with poverty and commands evil, but Allah promises you forgiveness and favor from him. So we, we have to be able to identify the influences that come into our heart. We all experience them. Being able to categorize them in terms of their origin is very important. When you have something that is calling you to goodness and to the truth, you take it. If it's otherwise, leave it, and you will be pointed towards God. The other thing, you know, so we want to attract angels, right? Uh, coming to gatherings where God is mentioned is one way of doing this. Another really good way of doing this is through our own physical purity, right? Angels are attracted to clean places, pure places, and they are attracted to clean and pure people, right? So um, this hadith is funny. <laughs> this hadith makes me laugh. Um, it was said to the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, O Messenger of Allah, Gabriel, upon him be peace, has been slow to come to you. Meaning like, I've noticed like you haven't received revelation in some time. What's going on? And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, sometimes he meets people with what they bring to him. So this guy is being kind of a jerk, right? He's, he's like, what's wrong with you that the angel Gabriel has not come to see you in a while, right? This guy is being a jerk. Sometimes the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you know, he's, he lets it roll off his shoulders. He responds better than what he receives. Sometimes he, uh, you know, he claps back a little bit. And in this case, he's clapping back. And the Prophet says, and why should he not be slow to come to me while you are around me without brushing your teeth, clipping your nails, shortening your mustache, or cleaning your knuckles? Meaning like, dude, you, you keep coming around and you're dirty, uh, like clean yourself up. Like angels are attracted to purity. So, you know, use your miswack, trim your nails, like clean yourself up a little bit and we will attract more angels into our presence. Even when 
the messenger of God, وسلم, is, you know, just, uh, he has a little bite in his response. He never fails to make it a teachable moment. So what he's doing here is he's instructing us, hey, you're like your physical purity matters, right? You clean yourself up physically, that cleans you up spiritually. That attracts angels. You attract angels, you will be open to more angelic suggestions. You will be pointed towards God to a greater extent than you would be otherwise. On the same note, the Messenger of God, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, said, Purify these bodies of yours, that Allah may purify you. No servant retires for the night in a state of purity, but that an angel resides with him in his bed. Every time he turns about for an hour, the angel says, O oh Allah, forgive your servant, as he has retired in a state of purity. So literally, like, just make wudu before you go to bed. Make wudu, you know, throughout the day, right? We're, we're doing that for our prayers. But make wudu before you go to bed. Uh, fall asleep in a state of purity, and this will attract angels to watch over you while you sleep. Right? This is a, this is a state where we're vulnerable, right? Where, I mean, you think about falling asleep, like, out in the wilderness. You have to worry about, like, animals coming upon you, right? This physical reality that we experience is a small sliver. There is an unseen reality that is much larger. When we fall asleep, we are more vulnerable than we are, than we are when we're awake. And this is a way of mitigating those harms, attracting angels to us when we sleep. So um, I want to close, like, you know, th th that's sort of like a practical understanding of, like, how understanding the existence of angels uh, can point us towards God. I think there's something a little bit more that we can say in closing uh, about this, you know, for our particular time and place. Um, you know, I think the beautiful thing about this topic is like, if you read about angels, um, like the angel of ice and fire, you start to realize that yes, like this physical reality, it's, uh, it's unique. It doesn't characterize most of creation, but that most of creation is actually filled with beings that are absolutely wondrous. Right? The, the angel of ice and fire is a great example. But all angels are like this. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ once asked Jibreel to reveal himself to him in his true form. Right? Like Jibreel often came in like a human form. And this was a mercy because uh, it, it made it easy for the Prophet ﷺ to interact with him as a human being. But at one point, the prophet said, I, I want to see you as you actually are. Like, what do you look like in your true form? And Jabril said, I don't think you can handle it. Like, don't ask this of me. But the prophet, him, he, he insisted. He was like, no, really, like, I, I want to see you as you actually are. And so the angel, uh, Jabril, he revealed himself to the prophet. And the prophet him, reported seeing a being with 70,000 heads. And in each mouth was 70,000 tongues 
all doing remembrance of God. And this vision was so overwhelming that he passed out. And when he came to, all he said was, you're so big. Like, you're huge. Like, I had no idea. Like, I've been seeing you as like the, a human being, but my God, you're enormous. And Jabril said, you should see my brother, Mikael. He's even bigger. And the thing I love about this hadith is this like, most of reality is like this. Most of reality is beyond our comprehension in both its beauty and its majesty. And we need to know that. We need to understand that this is the world that we actually live in. And why? Like, why do we need to understand this? Because especially today, the world that we see, especially in cities, is a world of our own making, right? Like you walk down the street, you see buildings that we have built. You see roads that we have built. Even what we might call like the natural part of it, like the trees and the grass, like they're usually in parks, which human beings have sort of like manicured and, and built to look the way that we want. We, we see our own creations and it becomes easy to sort of like be deluded that like, hey, like we are the end all be all of creation. Like we're the apex, we're at the top, we're the final word. And what angels do for us, you know, th this is a disenchanted reality, right? Um, when I, I was getting my degree in religious studies, we talked about how modernity led to a disenchantment of reality. Whereas, you know, for most of our history as human beings, we lived in a world that was not of our own making. And when we walked around in this world, we very easily could recognize it as the creation of something that is beyond us. And that was an enchanted reality. This is how we phrased it. It was an enchanted reality because we saw creation that indicated a creator. Now we walk around and we see construction of our own hands. And it all points back to us instead of pointing to God. It's important for us to understand that this is what most of reality is actually like because we need to understand that most of reality points to God. And this very small sliver that we experience on a daily, basic, daily basis is uncharacteristic of most of creation. So that's one thing. And we need to understand that we are poorest beings. Like we, that we're not sort of like these walled gardens where like everything inside of us comes from inside of us. No, like we're, we're a part of the creation. We are susceptible to influence. And with that knowledge, we can understand that like those influences that we recognize as being good and truthful, those are coming from somewhere, from beyond us to guide us. And so we pay attention to that and we follow it. And those things that call to other than good and that call to other than the truth, we stay away from those things and that we don't have to internalize it. We don't have to say, oh, I thought this thing. Yeah, I saw a bumper sticker once. It said, don't believe everything you think, which I, I thought was brilliant. It's like, it's true. Don't believe everything you think, right? Just because you have a bad thought, don't assume that's yours. 
we we live in this world uh, of of beings that we don't perceive. So understand that and understand how it affects you. Um, so alhamdulillah, we'll end there. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr. Ila ladina amanu wa amilu salihati wa tawasu bil haqi wa tawasu bi sabr. Amin. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.